0: Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com, so please subscribe. We're here today with Brandon Monroe of Bannerman Resources. How are you, sir?
1: Great, Matthew. How are you?
0: Welcome to London.
1: Uh, do you put on some decent weather for me too. We have, we have, have. been on... an effort for you.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a rarity, but uh, also we're not going to see it because we're in here. Um, so I want to, want to talk to you about a few things. So you're here at the WNA, you've been presenting the fuel report. We launched it. Yeah. We, launched we launched it, launched it today. And how did that go down?
1: It went down really well. So for you listeners, as you'd know, it gets released every two years. Two years yeah. This is the first time in eight years that the projections have gone up. Right. It's been a change in methodology. It's been a lot more thorough. It's had a lot more economic input into it. And it's a product that is just so much more useful and tells a better story for both sides of the industry.
0: Let's help people understand what it's for. So Mm -hmm. the the fuel report takes a global view of the uranium market. Of the entire nuclear fuel cycle. The whole nuclear fuel cycle, okay. Mm -hmm. And you've been part of the the committee and group uh, putting that together. Mm-hmm. Gathering data from various sources. So tell us what
1: tell us a little bit about that and you know what people use the report for, mm-hmm. who uses it. Mm-hmm. So basically what it does is it looks at the entire nuclear fuel cycle, mm-hmm. starts with uranium, moves through conversion, enrichment, fuel fabrication, okay. and then amongst that you've also got secondary supply. Mm-hmm. Now that on its own isn't very useful unless you've got a demand picture. Yep. So each of those components has a committee or a working group, mm-hmm. and there's a chair of each of those. Mm-hmm. And I'm the co-chair of the demand picture. Okay. So I sit on that with an executive from Electricity de France, the largest mm-hmm. utility in the world. And so between the two of us, we've um, had the interesting yeah. task of building a demand picture in three scenarios mm-hmm. that the whole industry can buy into. Mm-hmm. And the report it's used for industry, Um, a lot of the parts of the nuclear industry will use that report for their own judgement. It's used for policy makers and also it's increasingly becoming used as a reference tool for the financial sector and we're hoping that with the quality of the analysis and the the rigour involved in the methodology, Mm. we might see that. So it's, what's changed, though? You said you, you've, you've kind of re-engineered
0: it, as it were. There, there's a lot more in there than there was before. Why the need for the change?
1: What, 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 what was missing before? So I think it, would, it was starting to lose its credibility, particularly mm. on the supply side. Um, the, why? the input why, why, why from... was losing credibility? Well, the, the approach that had been taken was very much absent of any economic logic. Now, on the one hand, there's a good reason for that. There's very strong antitrust uh, requirements. You can't get a bunch of buyers and a bunch of sellers in the same room and just allow an all goes, anything goes situation. Yep, okay. Um, So it can't talk about price. It can't make price projections. It can't talk about the consequences of certain prices not being met. But in my view, it had gone too far in stripping out the economic logic associated with that. Mm. And so that was a key part of, perhaps why I was asked to put my hat in the ring there, yeah. to introduce more of that, and also to create the sense of confidence where we understood exactly where that line was, and we were able to step towards that line yeah. rather than just be petrified that anything economic might breach some of the anti-competitive So, th- so if, the,
0: if the economic component wasn't there, what, what else were people looking into? The report for you know in terms of guidance
1: what was it telling them well it, it, the last one told them for example that there was um, a balance in the market until 2023 right. and as an illustration of perhaps where many of the uh, authors of the report didn't have a market-facing perspective mm. when they delivered that at this time two yeah. years ago,
0: yeah.
1: uh, that 2023 was rounded to 2025. So as we know in commodity markets, you yeah. can't just round an inflection point by a couple of years and right. expect the financial community to, to take it seriously. This is very naive. Well it's people um, who, they just don't spend the time in the world that you and I spend our time. Um, very, very intelligent Why have they been people. hired?
0: Why were they putting the report together? Because, you know, that's a long time, right? 2023 to 2025. Quite frankly, three months is a long time on this business. If we look at what's happened with gold recently, you know, why was the report not getting the GKR and
1: attention that it should have? I think it was just what the perspective was for its purpose. Right. So... Um, there were certain aspects, there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a tussle that goes on between the buyers oh. and the sellers, the utilities and sure. the uranium suppliers and the other suppliers. Sure. And when you've got a good balanced tussle, you end up getting a very high quality product and that's what we've had this year. Mm. The previous year, which was before my involvement, that, yeah. that tussle wasn't particularly balanced. It was very dominated by utilities and um, perhaps they had an agenda there, but even if if you didn't jump to that conclusion, you'd say that they didn't have the miner's perspective. Some of the mistakes that often are made by People who run nuclear power plants is assuming that idled capacity can just come back on like that. Right. For example, there was a, a lack of understanding of just mm-hmm. how complex it is to even bring on a mine where the plant and everything else is built already.
0: Mm-hmm. And sorry to labour this a bit, but I, I, it's it's such a it's a big thing. This report is a, is a big deal, okay? And you know, I think investors want to understand the importance of it or the influence that it may may have. Mm-hmm. So if I'm looking, I mean, and I need to say. Everyone's got their own business model, everyone's got their own uh, agenda, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So I, I do appreciate it. it may be difficult to manage that, but why wouldn't the WNA attribute the um, importance to this by hiring independent, so I know that you've got a bunch of people coming in together, but which make it truly independent to provide, you know, truly relevant information, otherwise it just, it's just a little bit generic.
1: Well, one of the selling points of this report is it has been produced by members who, whilst they wouldn't have that independence tag, mm. they are the people in the industry, the people who run the industry. And I think one of the things that's made this report a, a certainly an improvement right. is that we've had a lot more involvement. Is it perfect? No. Okay. Because it can't talk about price. Yeah. Okay. and any projections are imperfect by their very nature. Sure. And, for example, we had a cut-off time on our demand scenario, so it's only since that time that Kazatomproms proms announced the extension of their supply cuts. So it's already out of date in that sense, right. but kind of on the right side of the ledger.
0: Right.
1: I mean, the other thing that's really changed is there's been a lot of positive news in the nuclear sector in the last two years. So the previous report um, assumed that... Uh, France would need to drop its nuclear um, influence by 2025. That's changed. Um Now, one of the criticisms of the report is they even included that in the uppercase scenario, mm-hmm. uh, which dragged down what otherwise should have been a more buoyant picture of what's happening in an yeah. uppercase. Yeah. Um, so now we can put that in the reference case that it's been extended out to 2035 and in the upper case we can take a view yeah. about what we think actually needs to happen in France and where public policy might go and then we can temper that even further.
0: Right. So why should um, people pay attention to this report? You said it's been received positively. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, you said, that you said the, 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 the numbers are, are positive for the first time in eight years. Has it been received positively by the people who are in the room with you?
1: Yeah, very much so. Right. So
0: at the... Detail- why, why do you think? What were they looking for? What do they need it to be?
1: Um, they it, First of all, it needs to be something that people can have confidence in. Mm. If, if you've got an industry that has components where this is the only effort that they're going to put into understanding supply mm. demand, it might be someone within the nuclear industry who mm. just isn't involved in that day to day, they don't want to hear... Yeah other people saying oh gee i'm not so sure about that report this year yeah they, they want to be hear people as we just had at the launch a few minutes ago yeah. say well that's the best report we've ever seen right and this is the 19th edition best so report they've seen from the wna yes yes the best right. nuclear fuel report right um, there's still calls that it needs to talk about price yeah um, to be fully effective but what Do it agree? does you agree of course but it can't <laughs> There are some things that could possibly be done and that's something that we'll need to look at for the next edition but what it does do is it gives the financial community as one of the key audiences um, the tools to then impose their own expectations of market forces and therefore price onto it sure it's you
0: consolidate a lot of information together in one place and it will help financial community you know funds investors broadly institutional investors Mm -hmm. broadly Mm -hmm. because uh so, sorry, do you charge for this or is it free? Uh, W&A charges. Right, okay. Yeah. Sorry, you W&A charge for this. Yeah, so you know, it's going to be more likely institutional rather than retail, family office, or high net worths uh, looking at this. So it gives them a good sense of what the market's doing. They're going to have to get their analysts on it and try and you know, insert figures mm-hmm. to get their own mm-hmm. view of the mm-hmm. marketplace. Okay, yep. right. So let's park that because you were involved with that. That's not your day job. Yeah, surprisingly <laughs> enough. You, you run a, a little company called Bannerman Resources. I do. You do? Uranium, <laughs> uranium business. Sometimes
1: wonder when you get your head into chapter two and you're redrafting the whole thing. But yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, that, that's launched. That, that's that's uh, today's news. So, mm-hmm. we're going to look forward to uh, Bannerman. Mm-hmm. So, why don't
1: you just give people a quick summary of you know, what that is and then we'll mm-hmm. kind of talk about it. Yeah, so we're entirely focused on the uranium sector, and in particular, an asset called the Atango project in Namibia. Mm-hmm. Um, Namibia is very, very important, as we'll probably come on to mm-hmm. it in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very advanced asset. We completed a DFS back in 2012, yep. and we've spent more than $80 million developing it to that point. Yep. And The reason why we've been able to do that is we were able to raise the bulk of that mm-hmm. capital during the last boom. Mm-hmm and that's the money that's needed because the project is simply so large. Mm-hmm. The total resource is 271 million pounds. So that's very and large. And the mining reserve is 130 million pounds. Right. Um, so it's the largest project, undeveloped project with the DFS in the world. Right. And since then we've um, taken it further by uh, constructing and operating a pilot plant for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, it has the advantage of being extremely amenable to heap leaching. And we've now been able to prove that over a three-year pilot uh, plant program. Mm. Um, And the fact that it's in Namibia very technically simple, it's an open-cut mine, or it will be, um, heap leaching and so on, it has the strategic attribute of being simple and reliable. It
0: does. It's also huge. Mm. You're moving up, and the grades are lower than... Mm-hmm. Definitely, Athabasca or Australia, of or, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, th- they're, This is this is a bulk operation. This is about moving lots of earth, mm-hmm. processing it mm-hmm. as economically as possible. But you do have a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So, but that, that comes at a cost. Yeah. So you've got to ra- you've got to be able to raise the, the capital expenditure to be able to get this thing into full full production. But it makes money.
1: Well, the thing is it does come at a cost, but we're in the very fortunate situation mm. where it doesn't cost us now. True. So we're in a position to be patient. We're in a position True. to see this market re-rate, adjust. No. I get that. i
0: I wasn't saying that um, it was cost money now. I know you run a tight ship, your know, your GNA is low, mm-hmm. you don't pay yourselves ridiculous amounts of money. And I, I get all that. You're doing all the right things, mm-hmm. for sure. But at the point when the market, well, whatever that point is for you, Mm because everyone's going to have a different point in terms of Mm -hmm. price discovery, you know, for some Mm -hmm. it's going to be 40 some it's going to be 60 wherever you guys decide that you can press the green button, Mm -hmm. you're going to need to get into, you know, ready state to either raise the capital if you're not already having those discussions, we can talk about that in a second, but you know, then it's a big operation, so it's going to take, you know, how is it going to take you to
1: build the plant, etc. Laid out with the DFS. So from the day we sign financing documents in whatever form they take, yep. to full ramp up is three years,
0: Okay, which so includes
1: two years of construction. Two years of construction and then what's happening in the So front? half a year of detailed design on the front end, mm-hmm. um, which could be done in parallel with financing if need be, mm-hmm. and then half a year of ramp up. Right, okay, so and, it's not unreasonable. It's and, and it's because of the simplistic, <coughs> simple nature and consistent nature of the ore body and the project that for such a large development, yeah. it can be done relatively quickly.
0: Great jurisdiction, mm-hmm. tax, licensing, all of that, again, you know, it's, it's, it's a good country to do business anyway, I totally understand that. So what are the obstacles between now and pressing that button that you foresee that you know, not necessarily keeping you awake, but things that you need to deal
1: with, is there much left? It's really just price. It's Just price? It's just price for us. Okay. If you look at the things that you would normally need to tick through, mm-hmm. um, for any mining project you've obviously got to do the engineering and get to a feasibility study. Yep. Um, we chose to take that to the next level with the pilot plant. Yep. Um, very important in the uranium sector is permitting. Absolutely. So we have our environmental and social approvals and our form of tenure is yeah. ideal for this situation. It's a retention licence, right. um, which basically means we've got, we've proven to the Ministry of Mines that we can do everything required for a mining licence, except mm-hmm. it's not financially attractive at the moment. So then it falls into a retention licence. We don't have any obligations to keep spending, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the time comes, we just need to show the economic viability in it and and we're and what, was that, what does that license. entail? That economic bar, but is it literally a piece of paper going? Well,
0: this is how it stacks up. Or do you have to have someone offering you money, we'd, or show
1: proof that prove them to them that, you, that there's someone offering you money to build this thing? You just need to show the market conditions make it viable. Okay, and, and we are dealing with a government that's um, fairly sophisticated with yeah. that thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's say uranium's extremely important in America. Okay.
0: So I'm I'm trying to paint a picture mm-hmm. of where you sit in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like I say, you know, there are high grade stories which we mm-hmm. we've we've heard, you know, after basket based mm-hmm. stories. Uh you're you're not that. So like I say, you know, you're mm-hmm. gonna have to raise a lot of money. Your big operation in terms of the amount of pounds on the ground which was all good your The capex is what? someone just just shy of eight hundred million bucks. Ah, uh, seven hundred U.S. Seven hundred U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. And so, who is who are you having those sorts of conversations with? How are you going to? What
1: that construction of finance look like, and where does it come from? So, for a start, we're not having those conversations at the okay. moment. It just makes no nice sense. Okay. Um, We'd be wasting people's time, and we'd be creating the wrong expectations okay. to have those conversations at this time in the okay. sector. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing to to look at is because of the unique position that we're in, we're in Namibia. Mm-hmm. It's a very large project. Mm-hmm. We will be attractive to large scale end users, being like who do you mean? Uh, South Koreans, Chinese, Russians, okay. um, Indians, Middle Eastern groups, mm-hmm. and the. If you look at our project average uh, production, seven point two million pounds, mm-hmm. that can service right. seventeen large-scale nuclear reactors.
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's significant. Amazing. It's
1: very significant, and there's very few projects in a jurisdiction like Namibia that can do that. So the prospects of getting, for example, mm-hmm. a soft loan in exchange for offtake, yeah. partial offtake, yeah. uh, I think that's real. I think there's a real opportunity to do it's, it's that. It's part of the solution, isn't
0: it? You're going to need to piece this together, aren't you? Because of the sheer scale of it. Or do you think that, like, say, Indians, Saudis, wh- whoever, there you go, there's all of
1: it on uh, the table. Well, never so. <laughs> nothing's quite <laughs> as easy as that in the uranium sector. <laughs> well, or mine, or mining, because like I
0: say, it's a, lot, it's a lot of money. That's why I'm, I'm interested, because in, I, I think I get the asset and where you're positioning and you've done a lot of work, and it, mm-hmm. it's a good story, right? So. To get to the point where you can press a button, you're going to need this money in place, and that's why I'm trying to understand: is mm-hmm. you know, do you have a sense of what that needs to look like? Even if you haven't had the conversation, you must have thought thought about right.
1: Sure.
0: Yeah. You know, offtake is one thing, but you aren't going to get eight hundred or seven hundred million bucks of offtake, are you? Well, I
1: don't think you'd structure it in that way. Well, that's what I'm asking. It, it, the, the way. There's different scenarios and I think the conventional financing the way that you'd finance a gold mine, for example, is unlikely to be attractive from shareholder value perspective. As you were alluding to, there's a large equity raise that would be required to go against the bank financing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, What's far more likely and far more attractive would be to go to one of these groups and say, well, we're not going to give you the lot, otherwise there's no point us being in business as an Mm -hmm. operator. Mm Perhaps we can talk about a 25% offtake as an example, mm-hmm. um, that would be enough to, to supply four to five large scale reactors, yeah. which the construction cost would be $20 billion. Yeah. So what we're looking for is a soft, soft loan arrangement for the full 700 okay. that gets paid back. Okay. Um, well before the mine runs out of material and when you look at the relative economics and what that supply security does mm-hmm. for numerous potential um, offtake partners, mm-hmm. that's attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now's not the time to talk about it because the perception is that there's lots of uranium around, so we will need the market to tighten up before we're going to get the attention of the, t- the groups who uh, who would be interested in that. Okay, Thank you for that. I just, that,
0: that was the the, the bit that I wanted to focus on to help mm-hmm. you know, complete this picture. Okay? Mm-hmm. But you have just said something which I also want to talk about, which is the supply in the market. Okay, you just said something to me, there's a lot of supply at the moment. When's that tightening up? Because I've had a bunch mm-hmm. of views over the last couple of, couple of days. Mm-hmm. So what's, mm-hmm. your, what's your take on it? Because it seems to be new news all the time. There's, there's people shutting off supply, but there seems to be supply suddenly appearing. from we didn't realise was there before? Uh,
1: If you're referring to the Japanese Mm -hmm. um, inventory, uh, I I think there's a lot more to the story than that. Um, But maybe we can come back to that. It's interesting because... do Do you know anything? Yeah, of course. Okay,
0: of course. Okay, good. Well, just tell us. Because so Again, we've had a couple of views on that. So what's your take on that?
1: So the way that it was reported, the perception is that all of a sudden yeah. there's a large volume of Japanese material that's going mm. to come out into the market. Yep. There has been a little bit that's been worked into the market mm. over time, and we're not talking a large volume. We're talking about a, a small mine yep. over that period of time. Yeah. The main source of supply from Japan is what's called perfumed fuel bundles. Right. The way to think about that, it's fabricated fuel. Yeah. It's perfumed because it's kind of gone off, if you know what okay. I mean. Like it's, it's been sitting around waiting for okay. restarts to happen, and it's no longer usable to simply put into a reactor. In its current form. Correct. Right. So okay. what do you need to do with that? You've yep. got to send it to defabrication, right. where it gets pulled apart, turned back into an oxide, purified, refabricated, and then sent into the market. So you can choose to do that, or you can give it to someone else or do it, is that...? Well, the, when the time comes, and it will come, the Japanese utilities who, uh, there's a couple that um, won't be operating nuclear reactors. Okay. When the time comes, they'll have to reach an arrangement with the fabricators and potentially an end user yeah. to buy new fuel rods that have been through that whole process. But it's not very attractive because of the amount of work required to get it into Mm. a usable form. It's certainly not attractive for the Japanese government because it is something of a political admission of defeat when they're trying Mm. to um, win public support for Mm. what is an extremely necessary nuclear program that continues Mm. there. Mm. Um, So that's why I say that story has attracted the, the wrong attention at the wrong time. Mm. Some of the analysis that uh, Reuters did was actually quite good in terms of breaking down balance sheets. Right. And they pointed to one of the key issues with Japanese inventory, yeah. that's the moment the utilities start flogging it into a depressed spot market, yeah. they're gonna have to revalue it. And most yeah. of that stuff is sitting on their balance sheet at about $70 a pound. So get hit,
0: they get hit twice as it were. They get hit twice. Yeah. So
1: that's why there's been very little coming into the market.
0: And so we're talking about small volumes, it's going from one utility to another utility or to someone who's, who can actually deal with this perfumed
1: product. Is that it, it'll have to go to someone who can right. either reach an arrangement to pay for all of the defabricated yeah, and refabricated. Maybe another utility, it might be example. prepared to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or it'd need to be sold back to say an enricher. Right. who might then put it into a long-term EUP contract? That's the most
0: complete answer I've heard to that question. Anyway, sorry to segue you off. From <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> we were on the supply. We're saying there's a potentially uh, the supply story is is still not complete. You know, there's still product
1: coming into market, not just the Japanese, ah, yeah. but other things as well. So So what do it's you know? about there's there's availability and there's perception of availability. Yeah. And this market is running on perception of availability. Seems to be. Um we've got a spot price that's still depressed at circa twenty five dollars. Yeah. But when you start peeling back the onion and you look at the volume that's being done, yeah. It's very, very thin. Oops. Yep. If you start to see any real pressure on that spot price, you're going to be on the way to achieving some level of price discovery. Mm. Um, the, the volumes have just been very thin lately, so we don't really know. Like a motivated buyer, or particularly a couple of competing motivated buyers, I think would have quite an effect on the spot market. But again, you, know, you go back to that story of Kamico
0: trying to buy a million pounds or so in the market of a couple of months ago now, wasn't it? Or maybe not that long but unable to find product at the price they're willing to buy and sellers unwilling to sell at the price that was being offered. So you're saying product is there, isn't there, or isn't there at a price? What's your
1: sense of the market at the moment? It is there in small volumes below, mm. say, $30. Right. Um, you'll Right. see more become available above $30, but I think sure. that'll generate it, but sure. not that much. Right. Not that much. There just isn't very much mobile material okay and uh, part of the thing is the moment that that perception changes and becomes more grounded in what we think the reality is yeah that'll have two effects one is this this whole perception that still exists in pockets of fuel buyers which is look there's lots of material yeah six 12 months ago I'd say it existed in the majority of buyers. Now we're starting to get the key consultants in the industry to those buyers who are saying Mm. it's starting to tighten up, be careful here. Right. And I think you'll be talking to one of those shortly. (laughs) I (laughs) will. And, uh, but the other thing it does. Is inventory is a function of the physical volume of material Mm. versus what the utilities actually think they need. Mm. So that whole piece there Mm. is all about perception. Mm. If they think that prices are flatlining for the next five years, Mm. then a given amount of inventory seems enormous. The moment the utilities start to realize that the price is increasing and the material is not gonna be there in two years time, that exact same amount of inventory can look like it's not enough or can look like it's just the right, right amount. And if you look at what, say, the U.S. utilities have been doing, they've um, reduced their inventory by 11 million pounds in the last 12 months, and they're only running at 111 million pounds over a consumption of close to 50. Yeah, I
0: mean, supply demand is it's true, true, whatever the commodity or whatever the product or whatever the market, you know, and you see this dynamic between what the suppliers are saying and what they're actually capable of delivering because price uh-huh. yeah. is relevant to them, mm-hmm. right? There's only at a certain price, there's this much mineable ore, or if the price is less, it's this much you know, smaller mm-hmm. amounts mm-hmm. available. Mm-hmm. And utilities don't want to show their hand mm-hmm. because quite frankly, come on, if you can pay a low price for mm-hmm. this stuff, it's mm-hmm. great. But at some point they need to understand when they need to press the button on, on price, because if they don't give enough warning to miners, there's going to be a real shortage issue at some point because you're know, you talking about mm-hmm. a three-year ramp-up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other people, if I'm looking at fission, longer, much longer. Probably yeah. double that. It, and if more. you don't have the permitting, it can be anything. It could industry. be anything, right? So that there's both sides are playing a dangerous game in a way
1: mm-hmm.
0: for what is in the total nuclear cycle of
1: cost quite a small component, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's about 6%, U-308, in the so total a, cost of producing nuclear power.
0: So why, why play that game? Why, why is this dance going on?
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> a really good question. And to understand that, you need to spend time, as I've been able to, with the fuel buyers Correct. and even their senior management from time to time, and understand where these guys fit into what is typically a very large hmm. electricity uh, utility, who not only are in nuclear they might be in Absolutely. various forms of energy they
0: 've got other pressures and, and people dragging you know well so demanding their the money and time mm-hmm. yeah. so
1: on the one hand, we can yeah. take a very global strategic view of it all, and we can say, yep. goodness me we 're talking about the difference uh, a, a couple of percent hmm. that it would add to electricity prices and mm-hmm you're risking your security of supply I've the utility argument. I, I, yeah. yeah, okay. But then you look at the job that utility fuel buyers are given, and their job is to acquire the stuff at the best possible price.
0: Yep. It's, and it's, it's, it's there's true. so
1: many parallels we could draw in our universe, mm. where you go, well, of course they'd do that. Of course they'd think like that.
0: But there's a point at which they won't be able to think like that. If, if, Correct. If, if, if they are the cause, of people being unable to mine economically.
1: They're almost authors almost of their own downfall if and they don't get the timing right. And as we saw from 2005, 2006, 2007, mm. as long as everyone else is paying a rocketing escalating price, You're fine. they're doing their job. You're not going to get fired for that. Correct. Yeah. But the moment you, as a fuel buyer, take a view that 25 looks really cheap and I can see it going to 50, therefore we're going to load up, yeah. If you fall on the wrong side of that call, hmm. that is your job.
0: Yeah. Go that's fair enough.
1: Right. I want to get back to you.
0: The Bannerman, you, Bannerman hat on. Um, you you're running a pretty tight ship, that's that's clear when I look at the numbers you're running a tight ship. And you know what you've got to do. You haven't necessarily got all the necessary overhead in terms of skill sets in-house now, but you know what you're going to need.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Have you Given you haven't spoken, you're not talking to people about money, but are you talking to people who you're going to need to talk to to come on board to allow you not only to produce uranium, get it out of the ground, but get it to market, you know, logistically, mm-hmm. get it to market sell it, get it, you know, but, you know, those, those buying cycles which, which exist. And, and do you have a sense of where you fit in the market compared to everyone else? Right now there's only what, 50, 55 companies, something like that. So it's, not, it's not huge. There will be new entrants mm-hmm. making lots of noises. So do you know what you've got to do to get product sold into market?
1: Sure. So in terms of what we're doing, mm-hmm. so we're not contracting. We're not attempting to contract, that makes zero sense. That sends the wrong messages to utilities with us uh, attempting to write contracts at the moment. But it's a relationship-based game. Mm -hmm. So how do I justify spending so much time working in my evenings and my weekends Mm -hmm. for WNA? It's it's a very simple answer. It's because I'm developing strong collegiate relationships with not only the people who'll be buying our product, uh, but also the people who'll be transporting our product. So you're managing that process. Well, it's, it's a natural thing to do, I think, from where we're at at the moment.
0: I think that's some of the utility bars trying to get in. Can you hear them? I think I can hear them.
1: Yeah.
0: Apologies for the noise. Bashing the door down to yeah. get yeah. out. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh,
1: so so that's, that's an example yeah. of where uh, perhaps a, a less experienced person in our industry would right. start bashing the door down and trying to have meetings with everybody and, right. and trying to consume their trying selling a product that they don't have to sell in the current conditions yeah. versus working with the people and helping the people and getting to know the people and they're great people Yeah, and it's so nice to work with the industry in a collegiate way rather yeah. than sitting across the table in a sales
0: call. So you've, you've, you've also I guess through your work with the WNA got a little bit of access and insight which maybe some other CEOs in your position with a you know, company not yet in production you've, you've got a little bit more insight as to the way that that
1: works Have you used that
0: as is that what's happened
1: I think that's a it's a fair assumption yeah
0: right okay and what are those conversations telling you in terms of the likelihood of Bannerman getting into production making
1: money effectively what are you going to tell shareholders hmm so there's two key points about that yeah the first one is diversity of supply is becoming very important. And what's that mean? A, okay, what's that mean? As a forward-looking strategic consideration. So what it means is um, the most important part of running uh, of buying uranium mm. and nuclear fuel for a reactor mm-hmm. is knowing you've got it. Right. When you need it. Um, so there's various forms of supply diversity mm-hmm. that are introduced. The most obvious one is commercial mm-hmm. and geographical. Mm-hmm. Um, as we found with the Section Two Thirty Two, it reminded utilities that you can't allow yourself to become geographically too concentrated, yeah. because you could have a little wobble like Section Two Thirty Two going yeah. in a quota direction, and all of a sudden you have to reevaluate everything. But equally, they don't want to be too commercially uh, constrained and too commercially concentrated, or they, they're only going to have a couple of sellers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, yeah, a couple of sellers who yep. they can deal with. Yeah. So whilst it's not keeping utilities up in bed, uh, awake at night yep. yet, yep. it is becoming recognised as an important consideration, so, as, so it, as it has been. So that's diversity, that was one. Okay.
0: What, what else are we so doing? the
1: other one is the supply picture in a few years' time mm-hmm. is going to look very, very different because when you look at the growth that's occurring in China and you look at the growth that's occurring in Russia, particularly with their export programmes, mm. That's Kazakhstan out of the picture. Yeah. Out of the picture. And that penny so hasn't so explained that When you say out of the picture, why? Because they can't produce enough to satisfy those two markets, Okay. Russia and China. Okay. So uh, if you were to take China, for example, and Kazakhstan sits right between Beijing and Moscow. Yeah. Okay. And if, if I was running mm. a large Chinese utility mm. and over the next couple of years, I start to see that we're on the trajectory that is um, provided for in their five-year plan. Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple of years of six to eight reactor starts under our belt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I see Ros Adam doing exactly the same thing, like we yeah. just had a presentation, their forward order book is at 133 billion US dollars, that's nice. exports,
0: yeah.
1: um, I'm going to start getting a little bit nervous about whether I can get my requirements out of Kazakhstan. Yeah. And the important part about the Chinese export program is they want to emulate
0: mm-hmm.
1: and attempt to better mm-hmm. the Russian model. And the important part of that is you provide the fuel and you take it away and you deal with it afterwards. Right. It's a build and operate in return for end, an off-take. End to end. Yeah. End to end. Yeah. And um, they're going to be going head to head in this in a in a short period of mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And when push comes to shove, is your money on Kazakh production favoring the Russian export industry or the yep. Kazakh production favoring the Chinese export industry? Yep. And that's a big question for them. It's a big and question, but let's go
0: back to my question was, what are you telling shareholders about what Barnum is going to be able to do
1: so, for them? So in Namibia, yep. as the only um, viable project for that type of mm-hmm. supply, mm-hmm. we're in a privileged position. Because as China becomes more and more wary yeah. of how they're going to underwrite a very ambitious investment in an export program, mm-hmm. um, they've already bought and built HUSAB, mm-hmm. They've bought Rossing. Yep. Um, we are the next obvious um, obvious target for either right. the type of okay. offtake arrangement that I've talked about, yep. or some sort of a, um, a a sort of a more integrated approach. Right. So all of those two trends both point very squarely at a big developed. Advanced project like ours in a jurisdiction where
0: China can actually secure supply. So, so tell me about what what was that? So HISAB was like what someone handed over the keys and go, give me the money, you can have, you can build it, operate it, and take the off takes all yours.
1: Is that is that the H- yeah? Well, H- H- it was model? a It was a takeover. Right. Okay. So um, CGN paid 2.2 billion um, US dollars yeah, for so just handed the HUSAB. keys over. Give me the money. Yeah. What would you do? I think the landscape has changed.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I think in that scenario, what you're more likely to see is to, you still see um, Chinese takeovers. There's no doubt that yeah. once the sector moves into the next phase, yes. you'll see that. Okay. But they'll be less um, willing to go in and build themselves. Mm-hmm. They'll be looking to put teams together or, or buy assets that have got teams, or okay. at least the, the, the start of that capability. And that's good for you. Why? Well, not great for me personally, because I don't build mines, so. okay. <laughs> um, but we've, yeah. got, uh, we've got an MD in Namibia right. who had a senior role with Rossing. He understands his form of mining. He was, a, he was the mining manager at Rossing. Okay. Um, our chairman in Namibia was the MD of Rossing, okay. um, CFO before that for many years. So we've got that key start that is always difficult in an emerging market to get mm-hmm. a couple of very highly credentialed people already in the tent. So you, you managed to
0: inherit, steal, borrow the right people for your company and that's, that's got to help you in terms of conversations with some of the Chinese groups, should they come knocking at the door? Correct. Thank you very much sir. Great great, great update. Lovely to hear the story. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCars